WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 40, all about Shelob's Lair, chapter 9, book 4 of The Two Towers, being the 40th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Alice and Martha, the real weird, the real weird sisters. Oh, it's a tongue twister. Welcome. It, it is definitely a tongue twister. And so, yeah, we totally get that. Um, we have problems saying it ourselves. <laughs> uh, it's a really great podcast name. Uh, you guys do a chapter by chapter Harry Potter podcast, and you actually like just finished. That's incredible. Yeah, we just finished um, the seventh book. So technically right now we're in the quote unquote eighth book, which uh, we do not consider the eighth book and most people do not consider the eighth book. But we are going through Cursed Child uh, for four weeks, the four four parts or the four acts of Cursed Child. Um, But yeah, we finished our book club a couple weeks ago and now we're moving on to a new, uh, it's still going to be Harry Potter, but we're going to be focusing on characters instead of chapters. Oh, that's very cool. I'm like... In the minority, I completely understand that I have a minority opinion that um, I do not mind Cursed Child. In fact, I rather enjoyed reading it, and uh, I think everyone who hates it is just mad about it, and (laughs) they just need to lower their expectations a lot, and then they can enjoy it a little more. That is the key to happiness is uh, low expectations. So maybe you have a good point there. Um, we, we don't mm-hmm. necessarily hate Cursed Child, but we don't really consider it like part of the primary canon, I guess is what. There, there's aspects that definitely annoy us, but if we can kind of keep them in their own little box, then I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that because it... It's also hard because it, what I've heard a lot of people say is, oh, well, it's so much better when you see the play. And it's like, well, OK, cool. Let me just buy a ticket to New York and, you know, shell out 300 bucks to go see the show. And then it's also it's a part one and a part two. So you have to give up like six hours of your day to go see it. So it's hard when not everyone can go see the thing that you're like, no, it's really great. Yeah, that's what a lot of our uh, listeners were saying, like, well, don't hate on it too much because you haven't seen it yet. And we're like, well, it's easier said than done. So we're, we're trying to be as positive about it as we can. And it is enjoyable to read, I think, um, if you just kind of take it as a, a secondary story that's not really, like Alice said, part of the real canon of Harry Potter. I mostly just enjoy it because I feel like it gives Slytherin some redemption and I'm a Slytherin. So it's like the only thing I can cling to of like, see, Slytherins aren't awful. Right. <laughs> There's Albus. And Scorpius. <laughs> yeah, and they're adorable little cinnamon buns that we need to protect. <laughs> but this is not a Cursed Child podcast. This is a Lord of the Rings podcast. So if you want to hear more Cursed, ti- cursed Child talk, you'll have to go listen to their show. This week, we well, actually, first, before we jump in, why don't you guys tell me a little bit about your background with Lord of the Rings? How did you guys get into it? I, I have read the series. Um, I read them when I was in middle school, and that's at the same time that the movies were coming out. So I, I actually, one of my best friends at the time was, like, crazy about Lord of the Rings. Like, she was totally obsessed. Insane. She, <laughs> she She's the one who got me into it. And so I kind of, through her, became 
sort of obsessed with Lord of the Rings, but I've only read the series once, so I can't, I, I don't think I can really call myself like a super fan of Lord of the Rings. But yeah, she was so crazy that she like one time, like she walked to school barefoot so that she could be like a hobbit. And uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. yeah, and another time she, um, she made like elf ears out of tape, like masking tape. Um, she made these like little elf ears that she would wear around. So yeah, we were really cool in middle school. And yeah, that that's basically my history with it. I I really enjoy the movies and the books, but it has been quite a while since I've really delved into this. Yeah, Alice, um, in her in middle school, her room was a shrine of Harry Potter posters, Lord of the Rings posters, and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean posters. Um, and yeah, I, as a... <laughs> like the Triforce. The trifecta, yeah, yes. it was. Um, as a lower elementary student at the time, I kind of like thought of my sister as like obsessed with Lord of the Rings. But now, now that we're older, I can kind of tell that the Lord of the Rings fandom was not quite as real as the Harry Potter fandom for her. Um, that one has stuck. <laughs> Harry Potter fan has stuck more than the Lord of the Rings fan. But yeah, I became a Lord of the Rings fan similar to Alice, not not to the same degree, but um, around the same time, like six years later for me when I was in middle school is probably, I think, when I watched the movies for the first time. And then I read the books in high school. Um, it took me like two or three years to make it through the three books. I enjoyed them, but I think I was like really busy with other stuff at the time. So I didn't really delve into them like super deeply because it just was like I would come back to it every couple months and read a few chapters at a time. So I haven't gone back to that since... Um, since that time until reading uh, She Loves Lair for this chapter or for this episode. But yeah, I also like Alice enjoy the movies, haven't seen them in a long time, but I think that obviously it's a really amazing world. And I was really um, reading this chapter, like, and I know this, like, this is not a surprise to me, but it's just incredible how many things that Tolkien created that I think J.K. Rowling obviously would admit to or would, would openly say um, took and borrowed from um, in the Harry Potter series. Like Shelob is obviously um, a huge inspiration for the Acromantulas in Harry Potter. So even this chapter in itself like had so many things where I was like, oh, that's a Harry Potter thing, um, which obviously this one came first though. Yeah, that's a really great point. I like totally didn't think about that, but I, I feel like there's a part of my brain that just automatically made the connection without like the other part of my brain realizing that it had made the connection. I, there is some part of me that just knew that like, yeah, that's obviously like Aragog and his 20 billion children for, you know, drew inspiration from this. So. Yeah. And even the, like when Gollum leading them into the cave, that's kind of like Hermione leading Umbridge um, to the, yes! <laughs> to them in the fifth book. So. <laughs> yes. That's so great. Thankfully, like Hermione's plan went a lot better and smoother than Gollum's plan. <laughs> or I guess, I don't know if it like, thankfully, unthankfully, cause like it's good that Gollum's plan didn't really work out, but it's also, I don't know, whatever, you know, you don't, <laughs> You don't want to wish a horde of angry centaurs on someone, but <laughs> with Umbridge, you kind of do. If it's anybody you're going to wish that on, it's going to be Umbridge. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly, exactly. Well, as much as I would love to talk about centaurs and Umbridge and Harry Potter, we're going to talk about this chapter, which I am super excited for. The listeners are probably very relieved that I at last am excited about this book again, because Martha and Alice, it's been very rough for me <laughs> up until now. The book four part of Two Towers has been my least favorite part, I think, of Fellowship of the Ring and the rest of Two Towers so far, because it's 
there's like there's not a lot going on. It's just Frodo and Sam and Gollum, and then Faramir appears briefly and then abandons them just as quickly. So I remember that from when I read this book um, that there it's it's so different than the movie how they have it split up with Frodo and Sam separate from everyone else, and I think that it just really it does kind of slow it down a little bit in parts. And so I do remember there being kind of like long stretches where it's just them like hiking. It's kind of like what people complain about in the seventh Harry Potter uh, when they're camping a lot. Yeah. But but like even (laughs) longer and more drawn out. So I I totally get that. But yeah, I think from here it kind of picks up from what I remember. Yeah, I have the same um, remembering of what uh, my reading of The Two Towers was like. And I also don't remember the movie of The Two Towers as well, but I remember thinking it was the the slowest of the three. Um, And obviously... uh, this this is an exciting chapter, so I was excited that we got to talk about an action scene. And this chapter, definitely, I think I was trying to find the movie scene for it, and I realized they actually put this Shelob's Lair scene into the Return of the King movie, which is an interesting choice. I don't really know why they did that. Um, but yeah, I was I hadn't really remembered this scene happening, but this was an exciting one. Hmm. It's really interesting that they did that because... And it's also... It's just interesting for me to hear... Um, tidbits of like, oh, they put this part in this movie and they mixed up this part because people have, um, or at least the Lord of the Rings fandom, have a really high regard for the movies and seem to really enjoy the movies. Like when it's a book to movie adaptation, fans aren't usually going to praise the movie if they weren't very faithful to the book and if they moved a lot of stuff around. So it's surprising to me that like Lord of the Rings fans love the movies so much, despite the fact that they took so much liberty with like rearranging a lot of the chronology of what happens. Yeah, there's a bunch of changes. Um, Cause I, I, like I said, I watched the movies first and then read the books. Um, and I, I guess that kind of impacted the way I read the books. Um, But I know a lot of people did read the books before they saw the movies and still love the movies. Um, So that's an interesting point. The biggest difference is that in the books, Boromir dies at the very beginning of Two Towers. And in the movie, he dies at the end of Fellowship. And so the two guys who like produced this show were texting me after I finished reading Fellowship and were like, oh, yeah, so how about Boromir's death? And I was like, what now? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) He's dead. I had already I had already spoiled myself on that. Thankfully, I had done some like basic Google searching about something unrelated to Boromir and then a YouTube clip popped up in the recommended search and was like Boromir's death and I was like okay (laughs) yeah yeah probably my strongest memory of watching the Lord of the Rings movies with Alice the first time I think I think I was like eighth grade or something at the time I was not a Boromir fan at all and I was like happy when he died and I was yes thank you (laughs) I think I was like looked at me like I was insane or like well it's not that I'm like the biggest Boromir fan in the world but I do feel like I expect you to have an emotional reaction to stuff like that and you you didn't I was like bye (laughs) (laughs) see I was the exact same I absolutely hate Boromir and I say this in present tense because like I did not like Boromir at all and everyone kept saying oh just wait just wait he gets better yep. he gets redeemed <laughs> and then it got to his death scene and I was, and people were still saying oh just like he gets redeemed I'm like how he's he does dead. not get redeemed There's nothing else. <laughs> 
I'm totally with you. That can happen. And I was just like, I'm so, and it was also a thing of like, the more, it's just my personality type that the more people were telling me that I was being mean to Boromir, the meaner I wanted to be to Boromir. (laughs) I get that. Yeah. I can see why you're a Slytherin. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 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 So this chapter, she loves Lair. I'm going to have to like force myself to say it that way because I, I didn't know how to pronounce it. And then I just listened to the audiobook to get the pronunciation. And I was saying, like in my head, I was saying it like Shelob or uh-huh. Shalob or something. Yeah. And <laughs> it's kind of a weird name. I, I don't know if there are any sort of like mythological reference or something with it, um, but I don't really care for how it sounds. I, I looked it up um, that it's it's literally just she and lob and lob is like uh, some root for spider. So it's like a, a female spider. Oh, <laughs> creative Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it doesn't quite like, roll off the tongue. Yeah, it's like um, Remus Lupin is like Mooney McWerewolf. <laughs> yes. It's like, geez, I wonder, I wonder which character is going to be the werewolf character. Hmm, yes. Remus Lupin, perhaps? <laughs> so yes, this chapter is entitled Shelob's Lair, which I was immediately like, this cannot be good. Yeah. <laughs> and it starts off with them entering the tunnel that Gollum has been telling them about that hey I know the secret way into Mordor it's this like tiny dark awful tunnel oh I should also mention that this is also an awful chapter to be reading at a time where we're all like self-isolating and quarantining and stuff because there's a lot of like language that Tolkien uses of like being trapped in the darkness and forgetting the joys of the outside world and like (laughs) how much time has passed who knows and I was like um this is getting a bit a bit too relevant too personal (laughs) happened to my like escapism please yeah it's super creepy and not just because of Sheila but also like just the whole setting like I'm sure I mean I knew what was coming but I'm sure for you, even not knowing what was coming, you could tell something bad was going to happen. Yeah, I've just been kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop for a while now because Tolkien has been really laying on the like very heavy-handed, ominous foreshadowing of Mm -hmm. like the air feels heavy and everything is dark and everything smells and they feel like someone is always watching them and... Finally, like, it happened. So I was enthralled by this chapter. I was like, this is great. I was flipping the pit. I was like, this is amazing. I'm so happy that this is happening, even though it's like, you know, you don't want to be happy that the characters you're reading about are in, like, the worst possible situation (laughs) they could be in. But at the same time, it's just, like, really well created. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. As somebody who has a very keen sense of smell, I appreciated the uh, <laughs> the incorporation of all the senses that were in this chapter. It starts off with the like really bad smells that Sam is really attuned to. Um, I just felt you could have this like very ominous feeling from the very beginning, and it's not just like being described in one way. There's there's uh, from all angles. Yeah, that's a really great thing that I didn't notice that he brings in, he brings in like all of the senses mm-hmm. talking about smell in the first part of the chapter it says out of it came a stench not the sickly odor of decay in the meads of Morgul but a foul reek as if filth unnameable were piled and hoarded in the dark within and I was like okay Tolkien I get it it's it's bad (laughs) it's bad in there (laughs) we don't want to go in there yeah exactly yeah And then as they move into the tunnel, he brings in the sense of, or I guess 
rather the lack of sight. Oh, and this is when I was also like, okay, this is a bit too relevant to today. It says that the tunnel brought blindness not only to the eyes, but to the mind, so that even the memory of colors and of forms and of any light faded out of thought. Night always had been and always would be, and night was all. And I was like, all right then. <laughs> that hits really close to home right now. It's a really good, really good catch on that one. Frantically <laughs> moving on. <laughs> no memory of colors or forms. <laughs> I know. I just, I also just, I just really like that line. Night always had been and always would be, and night was all. It sounds very formidable. And also, I feel like it could be a, a narration to an introduction for the next Batman movie. You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. Mm-hmm. Night was all. Yeah, that definitely sounds very... It, it's, it's definitely yeah. a cool <laughs> metaphor just to think about how, like... Yeah, like Martha said, it's all the senses encompassing them and then it kind of just like even wipes out their memory almost. Right, yeah, because they are... It's kind of like being near Dementor where you just forget everything good because you're in such a evil place and like you can't even imagine good smells or like visualize a beach or you know whatever we're in impenetrable darkness right now we can't we can hardly imagine you know what our own hands look like at this point Mm -hmm. yeah I don't want to I mean I don't want to do too many Harry Potter talk uh if if that's not what this podcast is for but it's already too late (laughs) but I don't care because I love Harry Potter so okay well I was gonna say I was thinking of Dementors too um and as as it goes like like I was saying with the with the different senses we go from the smell to the uh sight and then we're it says they could still feel for a while um and this it's kind of like this feeling of everything being taken away from them as they go further and further into the tunnel. Mm -hmm. That even that is kind of, it's not taken away from them, but it says as that, yeah, so they're kind of walking through this tunnel. They can't see anything. Gollum is ahead of them. And Frodo and Sam are just like, hey, bud, let's stick together. And they're just feeling their way along. And this is when I was like, nope, I'm out of (laughs) there. They say, as they thrust forward, they felt things brush against their heads and against their hands. Long tentacles or hanging growths, perhaps. It's like when you're in the ocean and like seaweed brushes up against you and you're like, I'm out of (laughs) here. Yeah, that's like you totally wig out. Yeah, it's disgusting. It seems like Sam and Frodo, like, really, they don't seem like they're, like, that freaked out by, I mean, I, I know they're freaked out by, like, what's around them, but they're willingly touching the walls. Like, it's not like they're just bumping into a back. They've been through a lot at this point, Martha. It's not That's just true. that they, yeah, they, they're used to doing horrible things. I just don't think I'd be able to I was going to say, it. they're probably, like, desensitized to it at this point. I guess, yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, was that a tentacle? Another one? Oh, well. And then they just keep moving on. <laughs> They're like, I think, someone's, I think someone's watching me, but I'm just going to keep walking. <laughs> yeah. Because at this point, there's like literally nothing else they can do. Like the only option they have is to, oh, this is also super fitting because I just retweeted uh, it, that they just have to keep moving forward. And that just reminded me of the day that we're recording. This is apparently the day that like 13 years ago, Meet the Robinsons came out. And the big like saying in that movie was keep moving forward.
it. So I don't know. Anyway, weird connections my brain is making right now. <laughs> Great movie. I was, when you said keep moving forward, I was just thinking, just keep swimming. When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming. Yeah, they just gotta be like Dory. <laughs> Except it's not as cute and fun. Not nearly, <laughs> Definitely. no. Definitely it's a lot not. less fun. Yeah. There's no, they don't have Ellen DeGeneres with them. Like, what a sad time. Yeah, I'd rather have Dory with me than Gollum. Yeah, right? Oh my gosh. I'd much rather have Dory. I also just love Ellen DeGeneres. I hope she's doing okay during all of this. That's what I, every now and then, will think about. I'll be like, I hope, like, I hope Dick Van Dyke is doing okay. I hope (laughs) all of, you know, all the random celebrities, I would be absolutely heartbroken to find out that had it or, you know, very sick and ill. Right. Now I need to knock on wood because if Dick Van Dyke dies after this, I will end this podcast. Yeah, don't don't put that into the universe. <laughs> and then this is going to be the last quote I'll read that's like, oh, wow, that's a little scarily relevant to our times today. It says, one hour, two hours, three hours. How many had they passed in this lightless hole? Hours, days, weeks, rather. And that's what it feels like every single day right now. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of does, yeah. What day is today? Like, today's Monday. I don't... Is it Friday? Thir- who knows? I don't know. It feels like two months have passed since last week. I'm so bored that I'm, like, looking at my old tweets and my old, like, Instagram posts, and I'll, like, look at something, and it'll be, like, five days ago. I'm like, that feels like three weeks ago. Like, I... It's it's so strange how much... <laughs> how little time has passed, and then how... Again, like how we don't know what day it is. Yeah, so in a way, we are as prepared for Mordor as Frodo and Sam are. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So as they are walking through the tunnel, they get to, they have like a little bit of a panic where there's like a random hole that Sam nearly falls down and Frodo luckily saves him. As they're looking around, they're like, hey, Gollum, come back. Gollum is gone. Surprise, surprise. This is like the fifth time that they have lost him at this point in the book. And I'm so sick of it because I'm like, guys, just just keep there's two of you. There's one of him. It just watch him. <laughs> and isn't I don't remember the details of every time that they lose him. But isn't it like every time that he comes back? Like Sam doesn't want him there, and Frodo has he has to like Frodo has to like talk about how much he pities him and that kind of thing. Pretty much, yes. And Sam hates him so much, and is like <laughs> every t- like every time that Gollum is gone, Sam is like, "Oh darn, what a shame, we lost him. Oh well." And then he shows up again, and Frodo's like, "There he is," and Sam's like, "Damn it." <laughs> yeah, um, I I'm a big Sam fan. He's he's always been probably my favorite uh, Lord of the Rings character, and I I think his hatred for Gollum is really really funny. I think it's just because he's like so pure. Yes, and like he just can have this sense that Gollum is up to no good, as we can see from this chapter. And Frodo is just like so such a shell of a person already that like he just is kind of like like kind of has no idea he's just like following Gollum and Sam's like still so innocent at the same time as he's doing all these horrible things. I I also feel like Sam is a little bit jealous of Gollum sometimes because (laughs) Frodo's like giving him more attention than he's giving Sam. Oh totally a (laughs) hundred percent. I think it's like several chapters back but you also find out that like Gollum also hates Sam and it like it's a two-way street now (laughs) and it's almost fun to see their interactions of like mutual hatred where 
Finally, they don't have to pretend anymore that they're putting up with the other. They both hate each other. Right. Well, because again, I think that Gollum kind of can sense from Sam that he's not going to be able to like win Sam over the way that he's kind of won over Frodo. And so I think Gollum doesn't like Sam because Sam can see through him or something. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's the... What word am I looking for? The control that the ring has over Gollum and then Frodo. Obviously, not to the extent that it has on Gollum, but Frodo and Gollum both have that kind of like mutual thing that not that like they're bonding over, but they have both been touched by this like evil piece of magic. And so Frodo probably isn't as attuned to the very like non-suspiciousness that Gollum has been up to where he comes back every time and Sam is like what have you been up to and Frodo's like now now Sam let's give him the benefit of the doubt for the 18th time (laughs) (laughs) it totally is the ring because that's definitely what Frodo and Gollum have in common that they've both sort of yeah like you said kind of been touched by this dark magic whereas Sam like I said he's just remained more pure and this time that Gollum is gone however Sam kind of like immediately feels that it's different, which I don't understand how. He says, he's really gone this time, I fancy, muttered Sam. I guess this is just exactly where he meant to bring us. And I was like, Sam, how do you know that? It's been like 10 seconds. Gollum has been, (laughs) he's gone missing from you guys for a lot longer than that and showed up again. So how do you, there's no way for you to know that he really is gone this time. At this point, Sam is like the boy who cried wolf. Like he's just every time, like he's gone this time. So let's just leave Frodo. So Frodo probably like doesn't take Sam seriously at all. Also like, unfortunately, this is one of the only times where we're like, Oh no, Gollum left them <laughs> because any other time we would be like, yay, no Gollum, <laughs> woohoo. But this time it's like they have zero idea where they are or what to do. And Gollum was their only form of guidance. It's funny too to me how like Sam always calls him Gollum, but it seems like Frodo always calls him Smeagol. And I think, again, it's because Frodo like is a lot more empathetic towards him and and Sam has just a lot more disdain for him. Something that has been a like point of common discussion between me and guests for the past couple chapters is like what do you make of this multiple personalities Gollum Smeagol thing for Gollum Smeagol? I I personally think it's that like Smeagol is referring to who he was before the ring and Gollum is who he was after the ring. But what do you guys think of that? Yeah, similar. I think, I I feel like there's, I remember this from the movie, like there's this whole thing about like how he forgets his own name when he gets the ring. Um, And I don't really know if that's in the book so much, but that's like part of the mythology of Gollum, like back in the first book when they talk about him or in the first movie when they talk about him, it's like some a creature that they didn't know who it was. So I kind of thought maybe the name was given to him, Gollum was, or like Gollum was like him trying to remember the name Smeagol because like Gaul and Gollum are like part of it. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I, I think that, yeah, Smeagol, Frodo calling him that, I feel like is trying to like awaken the part, like the Hobbit human part of um, Smeagol that's, 
gone missing since uh, he's been possessed by the ring. So that I guess it's a similar interpretation to both of you. Yeah, like the Smeagol part of him is like too far gone. But I like that. I like that Frodo. I don't think I noticed that before that Frodo usually calls him Smeagol. Yeah, because right here when he goes missing, it says Smeagol said Frodo trying to call Smeagol. Like just after that, Sam says, Gollum, if I ever lay my hands on you again, you'll be sorry for it. Yeah, I I had the same uh, observation though, Alice, that I, I really do think Frodo is very intentional about trying to call him Smeagol it's a, a little bit kind of it reminds me of like something I don't know what it is it's like a reference to some other book or something that I, I'm trying to remember but I can't remember what it is it kind of the only like Harry Potter parallel I can think of is when Harry like is really respectful to Creature um trying to get Creature to like tell the story of Regulus Black and that like changes Creature's whole demeanor um, but he still calls him the same name, so it's not exactly the same thing. Uh, another Harry Potter reference that I'm thinking of for this example is, I mean, kind of the reverse of it, where Harry and I think Dumbledore does it uh, a couple times, call Voldemort Tom when oh, yeah. they're trying to, like, humanize him and show that, like, this is just a human right now. He's not some immortal, you know, all-knowing wizard anymore. He's a human like all of us. It's kind of the reverse for both of these things where like Frodo does it to try and humanize Gollum. And then I think like Harry and Dumbledore try to do it to Voldemort to have the upper hand. Yeah, I think I thought of the other uh, Harry Potter thing uh, that I was thinking of is when after Dumbledore dies and McGonagall is questioning Harry, she's calling him uh, Harry instead of Potter, which is what she normally calls him. And then she switches back to calling him Potter when she's like trying to be more bossy with him. So it's kind of, I, I do feel like it's the Smeagol is the like kinder way of approaching him from Frodo's perspective, at least. And then Gollum is more of a like, I'm in charge of you kind of uh, perspective. Yeah, I think that like for Frodo, I mean, he sees kind of more of who Smeagol was prior to becoming Gollum. So he wants to like be respectful of him as a, a hobbit. Yeah, Sam, like you're saying, I think it's a little bit dismissive. Like he's trying, he's really more focused on who Gollum is now. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And and who he is now is a person who abandoned them in a impenetrable tunnel, <laughs> dark tunnel that reeks of, I don't know, dead orc bodies or uh, boat. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely orcs. And then like also humans, I think that like have just passed through without knowing where they were going. Yeah. Like, I mean, my immediate thought before I knew about Shelob and like who this was and whatnot. When they were talking about the stench and the odor, I was like, well, uh, the true crime part of me is like, well, obviously there's a dead body there. When they introduce Shelob and talk about how she eats all these people and spits up their boat and like all this stuff, I was like, wait, it actually probably is a bunch of dead bodies. Totally. (laughs) And so here Sam and Frodo are stuck in this tunnel And they're like, oh, no, woe is us, whatever will we do? And then Sam, I will give him this point. He remembers the light of Galadriel, the vial that she had gifted to Frodo when they had left uh, Lorien. Frodo says, why, yes, why had I forgotten it? A light when all other lights go out. And now, indeed, light alone can help us. And so he pulls it out. And feels like, I don't know, like this, it's not exactly clear what happens or, or what this does or what it is, but like the energy of Galadriel or whoever flows through him and Frodo cries out this 
elven phrase or chant that I'm not going to say because it's in a made up language and there's no way I would pronounce it correctly. But he says he knew not what he had spoken for it seemed that another voice spoke through his clear untroubled by the foul air of the pit. Oh, wait, sorry. I want to go back real quick because I went past it. So they're standing at this fork in the road. They're in the darkness. They can hear that there or sense that there's something behind them that's going to come get them. And then Sam says, like, oh, I wish old Tom was here. He's talking about Tom Bombadil. I'm like, yeah, I also wish Tom Bombadil was here. I was like, why is he wishing for Tom Bombadil right now? Because he could probably save <laughs> super all random. of that. Like, I also, I also appreciate how random it is because it also is just so fitting for Tom Bombadil because he's such a random character. But like, right? Do you think it's that he wishes that Tom was there with them, or do you wish that like? I think to me, I took it more of like he was wishing that he was back with Tom Bombadil, like in the Shire. Um, I was kind of interpreting it as. I wish Tom Bombadil was here because he would know exactly how to save us. Yeah, I could see both ways. I kind of almost interpreted it as like, I would even take Tom Bombadil over this. <laughs> but I don't know. Oh, Tom Bombadil. But yeah, just thought I'd, I'd mention that real quick, like, brief throwaway of like, hey, in case you forgot this completely random character that I wrote... Here he is, but not really. <laughs> that, was, uh, that also struck me as a super random reference. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. I feel like it happens a lot with Tolkien where, especially for characters that you haven't seen in a long time, and kind of here with Galadriel, too. We haven't seen Galadriel since book two of Fellowship of the Ring. I'm also assuming that we're not going to see her again, given that she is a female character and Tolkien <laughs> doesn't really do great with female characters. Well, he's got a great female character in this chapter. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. A win for womankind everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, he'll do this thing where like he'll just throw in the name of some character to be like, Almost like a, hey, remember when this character was in here? And remember when everything was completely different? Yeah, so Galadriel's power like soars through Frodo and this light that in the vial kind of glows and emits the glow and keeps off this whatever creature thing it is. At this point, all they see, all they can see is that it has a lot of eyes, which... I would also be like, that's, I don't need to see anymore. We will get, we will GTFO. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's already super creepy and like that's all they can see. Um, I, when I realized this was the chapter we were going to be reading, I was kind of like, I'm glad because it's very exciting, but I also hate it so much. It's so disgusting. I know, and yeah. That's insufferable. I love it. But honestly, I would take like disgusting and gross but exciting over anything else because it hasn't been ex <laughs> it hasn't been exciting for so long so I'm just glad that like something of <laughs> yeah. of of worth is happening right now. Totally. No, it was a it was a fun read for sure. Um, just this and also the I mean any giant spider scene. I'm not never a huge fan of as far as like they're just yeah that's creepy. extremely fair. <laughs> And so they are running through the tunnel and they get to the end of it and there's some kind of a barrier that the 
like s- some light is going through it, which is how they know that's the end of the tunnel, but they can't really tell. And it, Tolkien wasn't really like saying exactly what it was for a bit. Um, like light is not passing through it and they can't get through it. And every time they try and like barge through it, it bounces them back. And I was like, oh, well, obviously they've reached the edge of the map in a video game and it's it's spitting them back into the game and they're not allowed to go that way but that's not what happens it's a bunch of cobwebs which is when i think i made the connection that i was like oh this is kind of connecting the dots of what shelob is where they are and that they are in this massive like nest trap of hers right i when i read this um in preparation for this episode i like didn't really remember i i kind of remember the name sheila but i didn't like i knew it was some kind of creature and obviously the word lair is super ominous but i did not remember that this was going to Mm -hmm. be like an aragog kind of character um until i heard the the many eyes and then i was like oh yeah that's what this is um so yeah it's it's definitely like you, you have that bad feeling and then the more details you get it's like oh yeah that's that's what's happening and that's there's no way out exactly right also just like the word layer is is a really great word to use Tolkien like Tolkien's really he's really good about knowing exactly what words to use i brought up in the previous episode that so treebeard always says, uh, don't be hasty. Let's not be hasty. And then in this part of the book, Gollum kept saying, make haste. And I just knew that that was very intentional by Tolkien, that he was using the same word of haste in order to kind of like draw a connection in our brains of like, oh, the good character is the one who doesn't want to be hasty. And the bad character is the one who does. And it's just a very like smart use of the English language in a way that evokes certain feelings and thoughts just by like a single word. Like he easily could have done like Shelob's cave. The word layer is a really good way to highlight that this is not a safe place and we should get out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely evokes like a sense of you're probably going to get trapped. Oh yeah, that's also a good point too. Yeah, so they're at this cobweb this like impenetrable cobweb. Um, side note, listeners, uh, take a write down a tally of how many times I've used the word impenetrable in this episode because I just realized that I think I've said it like fourteen times. Anywho, um, so they're great word. <laughs> they're trying to fight through this giant thick cobweb, and Frodo gives the vial of Galadriel to Sam. And tells Sam that he needs to hold it up. And Frodo takes out... This always just makes me laugh. When Frodo takes out his tiny little... (laughs) To him, it's a sword. To humans, it's like a butter knife. (laughs) Because the name of his sword is Sting. And he always takes it out with such pride. And he's just so happy to have it. Which is very cute. (laughs) Yeah. It is really cute. I love the name Sting. Um, Definitely, I had forgotten, again, the details of all of this. And I forgot that Frodo's sword was named Sting. And it reminded me of Arya in Game of Thrones, her sword being Needle. Um, It's like a name that you don't really think of being like a super, uh, super like cool sword name. But it works for him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So he uses it to cut down this cobweb. They get out and kind of feel that the air is different here. It's not, it's definitely not like, oh, we're 
safe and we're no longer in Mordor and everything is better, but it's definitely not as bad as it was. And they have some sense of relief. They start moving along this pass or there's a there's a, a note of like Sam and Frodo had no idea of what they had just escaped. And then it goes into what I thought was just going to be like another tangential history lesson from Tolkien, where he is just like, oh, by the way, here's a brief history of the land that we are in. But instead, we get like the coolest description ever. I love the language. Like, obviously, this character, this creature is disgusting and awful. But the way that he writes about it, I like absolutely love. And also... Like, I'm a Slytherin, so it's just very attuned into my Slytherin-ness. <laughs> How could you have possibly thought that Tolkien was going to go off on a tangent about the landscape and the history of the land? That doesn't sound like him at all. <laughs> well, it's funny because there... <laughs> I don't right. So there's like a break from where like, and Sam and Frodo wandered away. And then it goes, there age long she had dwelt. And I was like, okay, we're, we're going real back far into history, apparently. <laughs> we're going ages back. This is great. When he does this, when he'll just go off on a tangent and give a history lesson, my eyes kind of glaze over. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever. But as I was reading this, I was like, this is very cool. It's talking about Sheila, but it says, but still she was there who was there before Sauron and before the first stone of Barad-dur, and she served none but herself, drinking the blood of elves and men, bloated and grown fat with endless brooding on her feasts, weaving webs of shadow. For all living things were her food and her vomit darkness and i was like oh all right we got another female character let's bring that tally up to six <laughs> yeah no the, the writing style um obviously throughout these books is really incredible um but this description of um Shelob and her history i thought was super interesting as well um my favorite part of it is when he talks about sauron's like relationship with Shelob and how like he's like kind of indebted to her in a way because of the thing like she's she's pre prevented i think travelers from like coming across uh his his uh air area um i don't know if sauron is really a he or not it's kind of weird to think of sauron as, as a he um yeah. but yeah <laughs> an embodiment of I don't know, fire yeah. and evil. <laughs> the entity. Um, but yeah, Sauron, I just think that, that that was a really interesting layer to Shelob's history is the relationship with Sauron. Yeah, so it's talked about how Shelob is kind of like a guard almost for this part because any person that's going to come through this part and try and get into Mordor this way, she's going to eat. But it also is like... That's only her that like that's not that's not because she and Sauron have some kind of mutual relationship going on. She's like, nah, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And what I want to do is eat everything that comes in my way. <laughs> right. It's like a security system that was already in place once Sauron got to Mordor because she's been there before Sauron. I wonder if she's. No, because I think I think Tom Bombadil was like the <laughs> first person ever to ever live. He's because he's like I am older than the oldest tree in all of old. Middle Earth. So I guess Tom Bombadil was around before her, but 
She's been here a while. Yeah, I like how Sauron, like, he is indebted to her, but, like, she's not actually, like, one of his slaves or one of his, like, uh, minions. Like, she she is doing her own thing, like you said. Like, she she wants to just eat whatever comes across her path, and that is working. I mean, I, I, do, get, I do get her obsession with food. That's, you can't blame her for that. <laughs> Good point. Uh, but, yeah, like, she... It's convenient for Sauron, I guess. Definitely. Yeah, she's... I, I, I do like... I like that as well, that um, she's not necessarily, like, indebted to Sauron in any way, and that she kind of just does what she wants, but it's kind of unfortunate for everyone else right. that it kind of works out in his favor. It's just like... I don't know. I, I just think it's such an interesting creature to pull in at this time to be like, we're in a land of evil, and, like, here's... Because in the previous chapter, there was, like, a giant army of of riders or, I don't know, ring wraiths or just general, like, servants of Sauron. And they were led by the Morgul king. And then now we're being introduced to this character. So it's just cool that, like, as we're venturing into this land, we're coming across this idea that, like, there is Sauron and then there's also all of these other awful people that we're going to have to not get killed by. Yeah, the world is not split into good people and death eaters. It's not split into Sauron's minions and uh, good people, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like Sauron's people, Saruman's over there by himself for, for a bit, and then like Boromir is kind of of in the good side (laughs) but kind of not (laughs) some people would say like he wants to be good but he's really annoying (laughs) yeah I Martha you compared uh Shelob to the scene with uh Hermione leading Umbridge into the forest um maybe Shelob is kind of like the umbrage of the series because she's not necessarily working for Voldemort, but she definitely True. helps get his <laughs> ways across. <laughs> kind of a reach, but let's I mean, just, yeah, Voldemort pretend. is probably indebted to umbrage, so <laughs> it's the same way that Sauron's indebted to um, Shelob. Yeah, sorry, I had to work that out in my brain. I was like, yeah, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> and then one more line that Tolkien wrote that... I think is a really cool line, but I also feel like it's one of those things that a lot of white girls could take out of context and get as a tattoo. And it says, the darkness could not contain her. And I was like, oh, that's very cool. But at the same time, like, I really want to walk up to someone who has it as a tattoo and be like, you know, that's talking about that's in reference to like a giant evil, ancient, gluttonous spider <laughs> in Mordor. That totally would be a tattoo. And I, I kind of like it personally. But yeah, you're right. That would be funny to be able to point that yeah, out. Yeah, that's I can totally see. Like, I, I actually just looked up that quote because I was like, I've definitely seen that before. But no, you're right. It's just from this. <laughs> but I could definitely see people with that as a tattoo. Yeah. And also like a part of me wants to get that tattoo, but... For the reason that, like, oh, well, it's about a giant, evil, ancient, gluttonous spider (laughs) from Lord of the Rings. It's kind of perfect. (laughs) I don't, I want it like, I want like a a cross stitch of it. Yeah, that's what you want. That's a good compromise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe I just need to start doing that. I have, I have a lot of like bad ideas for a tattoo that I want to get. So maybe I'll just start cross stitching them instead. It's a little less risky. Yeah, a little less uh, permanent. Exactly. So yeah, I will work on cross-stitching that immediately. <laughs> Actually, that's a lie because I can't go out and go get supplies. 
because our our governor just issued today an official like stay at home. You can um, order it online. Yeah, Alice, Alice and I have been doing that. <laughs> we'll definitely do that. It's also just my like Aries energy of like, but I want it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Shalob, so we are learning that the reason that Tolkien is going on this long tangent about Shelob is because this was Gollum's plan all along, basically, which I was kind of like, really? That was your plan? I mean, okay, I thought you would have had something like trickier up your sleeve, but all right. So this isn't what I'm about to read, by the way, is in like Gollum's voice as if he was talking to himself. His plan was to lead the hobbits to Shelob. It says... It may well be that when she throws away the bones and the empty garments, we shall find it. We shall get it, the precious, a reward for poor Smeagol who brings nice food. This just reminded me of if you've ever played um, Cards Against Humanity, One of there's one card where it's like there's a bunch of blanks uh, for steps and then it's like question mark, question mark, profit. And that's what it feels like with this where for Gollum's plan where he was like lead hobbits to Shelob. Hobbits get eaten. I get ring? <laughs> question mark, question mark. Profit. Yeah. Um, Gollum, definitely, like, we are saying, like, really, this is your plan? But, you know, to be fair, Frodo and Sam did fall for it. So it did work in, in uh, t- to that regard. I know it didn't fully work, but they did go into the cave and they didn't really notice when he disappeared. That is very true. <laughs> Yeah, Sam and Frodo are not uh, not the smartest people. I mean, but like, I, I keep saying it, though, throughout this part of the book. It's honestly not like they had any other option. Right, right. They were completely fumbling in the dark before Gollum was there. And they had zero idea of what, where, they didn't even know how to get to, mo- they didn't right. even know, like, where it was. <laughs> Uh, like they're like, I don't know. We're on a mountain. Somehow we got here. I don't. I don't know. I think it's that way. Maybe it's gone about as well as anyone could expect. I think is is the best way to to summarize this whole situation. Accurate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So as as cool as all of this story is about Shelob and Gollum's plan and how. She love interacts with Sauron and all this stuff. I also feel like Tolkien could have better incorporated this gradually into the story rather than just like pause the story completely and then go on like a expositional tangent. Yeah, this is definitely like the part of the Tolkien style that is not always my favorite. Like I like getting the whole history, but it's not very natural, like you said, and it kind of just like is the narrator kind of like has his own voice that's just like randomly like dropping a bunch of like sidebar history stuff that you didn't really didn't really ask about in the first place. <laughs> yeah, as as Alice likes to say, so, uh, thank you for answering all the questions nobody asked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, I get that because I do feel like it's a little bit jarring sometimes to just randomly like you're in the middle of this kind of like intense action scene and then we get this history of Shelob dropped on us. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very uh, like classic Tolkien, though. I, I feel like this is part of why it took me so long to read the three books back when I did the first time. I, I do think it's really amazing. And like, he's a really strong writer. And like everything he writes is really poetic. But again, it's just this very unique style of like taking you out of the action and into a, a tangential history story. And that's, again, just kind of in the classic Tolkien vein, I guess. <laughs> 
I feel like it's like too much for like Tolkien thinks in like a very like linear manner. Like that's why it's really hard. Like that's why he separates out the two stories into the Frodo and Sam and then the other people's story because it's like hard to like he hasn't quite mastered the transition back and forth. So it's like, okay, it's easier if we just like keep these compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny because he is so amazing and like obviously one of the most inventive and imaginative people on earth. But then at the same time, he has to like kind of stick to this rigid format. As I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering, Tolkien is obviously a very good writer. The way that he strings together the human and unhuman languages is incredible and amazing. However, I'm like just thinking now, I'm like, but is he a good storyteller? Because... I'm just thinking of like, if I were to, okay, sorry, someone outside is revving their engine extremely loudly. That is just unnecessary. (laughs) Go home. We're all supposed to be home right now. He's like, shelter in place doesn't start till 8 p.m. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, I really want to get a like bullhorn and go out on my balcony, which overlooks a major road here in the city. And I really just want to get a bullhorn and just... Stand on it and be like, go home to like everyone who's walking by. <laughs> that's, and- that's really funny that you said that because our cousin, who is a Slytherin her- uh, Lord of the Rings fan, had a Facebook status a couple days ago that was like that exact same uh, idea. <laughs> he literally said using a bullhorn. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. Wow. Well, um, I, I guess it's it's the kind of thing where like there's only so many combinations of like the human face and what that will look like that eventually there's going to be some humans that look like each other. There's only so many combinations of like a Slytherin Lord of the Rings fan <laughs> that you're going to get before <laughs> you're like, oh, you're the same person. <laughs> um Gosh, that's so funny. Now I really want to... <laughs> Amazon.com bullhorn. <laughs> not that it would be here at any point soon, though, I feel like. That's probably not an essential purchase right now. <laughs> uh, I think it is. <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, back to your discussion of uh, Tolkien as a writer, I kind of feel like it's kind of different to compare his writing versus his storytelling. Um, I would say, like, the story obviously is really really awesome but I agree like if I was gonna go and like listen to an author like tell me a story I I don't know if I'd be like Tolkien would be top of my list of like wanting to hear him tell me a story because he takes so long and so many different uh, angles that he wants to go through Um, not to knock his writing at all because I think he's again like you said very technically gifted and one of the like Alice said one of the most uh, brilliant minds of our time and not really our even our time but yeah I, I, I do feel like as far as going to listen to a story told by Tolkien might not be the most gripping thing for a couple minutes at least. Yeah, he would definitely be like the old grandpa type where you'd be like just kind of like nodding and your eyes are kind of glassed over. But at the same time, you in theory know that he's saying really interesting stuff. (laughs) It's like when I go see a Shakespeare play that... I know the story and the plot of, and I know the characters, so, like, I know what's happening. And I can also, like, as a theater goer, I can also appreciate when there is someone on stage who is a good actor. But you still kind of sit there, up, look up at the stage, and you kind of, like, you pr- you're you like, this is, yeah, ah, yes, uh, mm-hmm, <laughs> this is very good 
writing and and theatering. <laughs> uh-huh. This is an excellent play. And you just pretend like you know exactly what they're saying. <laughs> yes, very relatable. <laughs> also, like, not to like go open another can of worms that I feel like I might be attacked for later on uh on the internet, but because the listeners know that Harry Potter is one of my like you know, favorite series and fandoms and everything, I get a question a lot of like, what are you liking more, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? And I feel like I, ha- I have to say, it's it's hard to compare the two because they were written in totally different times. And I feel like maybe if Harry Potter had been written at the same time period that Lord of the Rings was written and she was using the same kind of like old timey language, maybe they would be on the same level. I don't know. But I feel like my answer going forward is going to be, well, Tolkien is definitely a better writer and his world building is amazing, but I think J.K. Rowling is a better storyteller and her story is the one that I enjoy the most or I enjoy more because it's easier to just like immerse yourself in and just kind of like go along on the ride. Yeah, there's there's a ton of differences between Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. And we talk about this on our show a lot too, um, that it's like to compare, I mean, that that is a question we get sometimes too. I mean, obviously we're bigger Harry Potter fans given that we have a Harry Potter podcast, but there to compare the two is really like, mixing apples and oranges because um lord of the rings is such a high fantasy story and harry potter is not um lord of the rings is a different world and harry potter takes place in our world like there's just and again like you said the time period Mm -hmm. in which it was written is also really different so i don't see them as something you can really compare with uh any kind of like you know validity yeah and also like the thing that has always sort of like irked me about people saying like oh jk rowling isn't as good of a writer as Tolkien is like, I get that maybe she's not using such flowery language and stuff, but I think that like being easy to read is not necessarily a bad thing. Like to me that that's a really good skill to Mm -hmm. have as a writer is to be able to write in a way Mm -hmm. that makes people forget that they're reading, you know, so you're not thinking about each and every word. And I'm not saying that it's bad to do it the other way, but I'm just saying, I think it's like you're saying, Martha, it's kind of apples and oranges and I don't really understand why people always need to try to compare them constantly because they're both amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You hear that, people? (laughs) (laughs) So they have made it out of Shelob's lair, but oops, not really because look who's coming out. It's Shelob. And... For me, this is a moment of that gif from uh, American Horror Story where, oh, what's her name? Emma, not Thompson. Uh, not Watson. <laughs> Can't help oh, you there. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google search this very quickly because otherwise it will drive me crazy. She was the girl in the like Nickelodeon series Unfabulous. I know. This is like the least interesting. Emma Roberts. Oh. Emma Roberts. <laughs> Sorry, we Sorry. are really bad at that kind of Anywho, reference. So there's this. <laughs> couldn't help you there. <laughs> it's the most random. Anyway, it's this gif that you've probably seen of Emma Roberts. And in the show, she, go- she goes, surprise. I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. And that's what she loved. That's exactly like. what she yeah, said. Totally. That's what she loved said. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, great, a great new meme format. That's what she loved said. Perfect. 
<laughs> um, and the way that they, so Frodo has already gotten kind of far ahead of Sam. And so Shelob is in front of Sam, but behind Frodo. And she probably can't see Sam or she's moving away from him because he still holds this piece of light magic in him. So Shelob is going for Frodo. And Sam is like, Frodo, look out. And then a long clammy hand went over his mouth and another caught him by the neck and he gets pulled back. And this is when I was like, oh, my God, Gollum was like, surprise, but you thought you'd seen the last of me, too. (laughs) I completely I gasped. I was like, Gollum, because I totally when Sam was like, oh, I guess he's gone. I was like, well, I guess so, too. (laughs) Yeah, you fell for it, just like Sam did. I know, right, it's, right. One thing I was kind of struck by reading at this time is I had forgotten. I knew that Sam called Frodo Master most of the time, um, but I didn't remember that Gollum was calling Frodo Master a lot, too. Um, I also found it kind of strange that, um, I guess he's. I guess Gollum is referring to the ring when he says Master, but he's kind of talking about Frodo because Frodo has the ring. Um, is that how you guys interpret it? I think, yeah, so... He says, like, he won't hurt Master, but I'm like... He promised he won't hurt Master at all, but he's got you, you nasty, filthy little sneak. So, to me, this was Gollum finding a loophole, where he was like, I promised I wouldn't hurt Frodo. I said nothing about not hurting you, because he's like, Shelob is the one who's hurting Frodo. I didn't hurt him at all. I only led him directly <laughs> to Shelob, but... Right, this is... <laughs> like, loopholes. This is Grip Hook in the seven-part two movie saying that, I only promised yes. you that I'd get you in, I didn't promise that I'd get you out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but it just, uh, it struck me that he's capitalizing Master when Gollum says it, and he's not capitalizing it when he's talking, when Sam is talking to Frodo, so I wonder if the capitalized Master is implying the ring as part of it or something i don't know if that was correct (laughs) Hmm. yeah that's interesting because i see that too that it's capitalized in the one spot definitely could be but i and then i was trying to see if he was using it like as a a name there but it's actually almost the opposite yeah i don't know i'm probably getting (laughs) bogged down in the details which is what we do on our show all the time also like this is a this is a very intense book slash series to get bogged down True. in the details because the author also gets bogged down in the Good details. Point. <laughs> Definitely. He like he's he's sitting there like, but the reader must understand exactly the long complex history of how this tree came to be in this exact location. And it's like, no, we really didn't need to know that, Tolkien. Yeah, so Gollum says, at last, my precious, we've got him. Yes, the nasty hobbit. We take this one, she'll get the other. Sam is like, oh, well, Frodo's not around, so we're going at it. And he goes hard, and he and Gollum have a big old fight. And But at the same time, I'm like, this can't be that ferocious of a fight, because they're both, like, tiny hobbit-like children creatures, so... It can't be like that bad, but anyway. I feel like um, Gollum is like really muscly though. Like I would not really want to fight him because he can like cling on. Yeah, and also just like gross. <laughs> like you don't really want to get too close. Yeah, I wouldn't even want to like touch him. Yeah. Like if he had his like hand on my throat and was choking me, I would be like, okay, just choke me because I wouldn't want to touch his hand to try and like pull it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's... 
that's one of Gollum's secret weapons here is <laughs> nobody wants to get too close. So that he's going to always win. He's like, I'm disgusting. Stay away. And Gollum is surprised by Sam's force that he's using. And he's surprised that he's fighting back as hard as he is. Eventually, I love this. Um, Gollum has this like realization in his head where he's like, well, crap. Um, he says, everything had gone wrong with his beautiful plan. And then later on, this fight was not for him. And Gollum pieces out and runs away. Sam is about to turn and run after him. And then he, because at this point, Sam is like, I'm going to kill him instead of like, oh, I'm going to hurt him. He's like, Frodo's not around. Gollum just tried to kill me. I'm going to kill him. He is like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. I got to go get Frodo. Check on him. So he turns around and runs back outside to this like, I don't know, path that they're on. And he sees that Frodo is nowhere to be found and neither is Shelob. Dun, dun, dun. And that's where the chapter Gollum's plan worked. So no spoilers. Yep. So far, Gollum's plot had succeeded. This is the last sentence of that chapter. Well, that's that was an exciting chapter. Do you guys have any like random thoughts that you didn't get a chance to share? No, I just I really did enjoy reading this chapter, like we both said. And so um, I'm glad that we were able to come on and talk about this one. We kind of lucked out because it was mostly a scheduling thing that we couldn't come on sooner. So kind of worked out in our favor. <laughs> I also enjoyed the chapter a lot. I kind of was not super excited about the two towers when I uh, knew that we were going to be reading that book. I didn't know which chapter it was going to be. But when we got into it, I was like, okay, we lucked out with this chapter because this is a really exciting one. Um, and I also just love Sam. So I was uh, happy to be able to talk more about Sam. He is, like I said, my favorite character, I think probably in the, the whole series. Yeah, I'm just really glad that it looked out that you guys were on for an exciting chapter because listeners, we've been messaging back and <laughs> forth for a while now, but all of us trying to like coordinate crazy schedules and then like all of this other stuff with coronavirus happened. And, and as we were like picking out a chapter, it was several chapters ago when we said, oh, let's all do chapter nine together. And I was really nervous because I was like, I really hope chapter nine is good because I've been having some like duds <laughs> of a chapter where I like, I almost feel bad asking someone to come on and be like, hey, can you read, can you read this chapter where like, honestly, not that much happens and Frodo and Gollum and Sam are all just kind of miserable together. <laughs> like, it's a fun time. Come on the show. So I'm, I'm glad that it was a good chapter. <laughs> well, we would have been t happy to talk about any chapter. But uh, this was a fun one. So where can people find you on the internet? So um, like you said, our show is called The Real Weird Sisters. Um, you can find us in any of the podcast streaming platforms. And then we're on Twitter at Real Weird Sister. Um, and then also just individually at Real Weird Alice and Real Weird Martha. Um, and we're also on Facebook, just pretty much all the usual stuff. And what is something that you guys, some piece of media that you are both enjoying right now that you would recommend to others? Well, Alice, Alice, actually, I think we're enjoying the same piece of media right now. And that Alice started watching it first, but it's RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, I'm, we're both going back into the old seasons. Um, I'm in season two right now and she's in season like eight or something. Uh, season nine. I've watched oh, okay. like seven seasons in like two weeks. So uh, <laughs> I've been, that's been my main my main thing. And then, of course, uh, Tiger King was a real Oh, high. yes, of course. 
Um, <laughs> I can't say I enjoyed it, but it definitely was. It was a ride. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I haven't I haven't watched Ugh. that show yet. I'm not a hundred percent sure I didn't if I will really want to, but then I kind of just got sucked into it, watched it all in like a day, and it was Same. it was so weird. That is the weirdest yeah. thing I've seen. I mean, it's disturbing, but also like there's a lot of really hilarious memes to come out of it, so it's almost just worth it for that because it's just like so mind blowing how strange it is. Like you will just be making a huge WTF face the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if there's any reason that I would ever watch it, it would literally only be so that I could understand the memes. I think there's yeah. literally going to be like hundreds of memes circulating from that show for years to come. So it's probably worth the investment. It's just funny because like from what I've heard about the show, it literally could only do well in this exact like period of time <laughs> where no one has anything better to do <laughs> than watch this show. And that's why it's doing yeah, well. It's- right. Coronavirus is actually sponsored by Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> And Tiger King is sponsored by Coronavirus. So that, that show does make you come away, or it does leave you with a very, like, icky feeling. Um, but RuPaul's Drag Race is very uplifting. So if you have not seen that, it's, I love it so much. I didn't really think that I would like it that much because I've watched, like, um, America's Next Top Model and stuff. And I, it's kind of, like, whatever to me. But I really enjoy this one. Yeah, it's super feel-good, super fun, um, super entertaining. I also highly recommend RuPaul's Drag Race. That's what I'm talking about is a proud member of WBE. You can learn more about that by going to WBE.org. And might I suggest listening to Bacon and Eggs, a movie lovers podcast. Tyler and Ethan are also right now doing dur- um, doing during this awful time that we're all living through uh, bonus episodes on The Mandalorian. I think those are coming out every Monday for the next eight weeks since there are eight episodes. I don't know. I've never watched The Mandalorian. But if that's your thing, make sure you head over there and listen to it. And if not, you'll hear more about them now. Howdy, Yokes. I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Hill, And we host Bacon and Eggs, a movie lovers podcast. It's the most roll your eyes, I've seen it before concept for a show. But with new hosts, I promise. Each week, we sit down together and watch a beloved movie. We start by looking at some critical and concrete points and let our conversation flow from there. We've covered all sorts of movies, from Jaws to Little Women. From the Lego Movie to the Lego Movie 2. From Marvel to Star Wars. From Back to the Future to Back to the Future Part 2. And tangents from our frustrations with fast food. To discussing our fear of the Mighty Loom. So if you want a podcast that makes you laugh, download Bacon and Eggs, a movie lover's podcast. With new episodes available every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, and now on WBNE.org. Ghostbusters 2! I, I, my, my hope and dream was that you would say that. Hey there, it's Future Mary Clay. If you are listening to this episode the day that it comes out, first of all, thank you. You're a great listener, and I appreciate you. But the reason for this is that tonight, April 7th, had to think about that. At 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, it will be a special live stream episode of Bacon and Eggs, and I will be on. And Ethan Tyler and I will discuss Unicorn Store because I annoyed them into letting me do it because I love Brie Larson. Yeah, so like I said, it'll be 7.30 p.m. It's a live stream over Twitch, and at the very least, you can check um, all three of our Twitters or the Bacon and Eggs Twitter to find the link to that. So yeah, this should be fun times. Their cover art is by Graphite, aka Vaishan Brandon. You should support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod, as well as the Facebook group. 
You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram, MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod. This week's sponsor is Matt Barger. Thank you so much, Matt, for your support. It means a lot to me, and I hope that you are doing well during all of this insanity and horribleness. And finally, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. It would mean a whole lot to me, especially right now when I'm sad all the time. I'm not actually sad all the time. I'm only sad some of the times. Listeners, this week's discussion question is, what fictional monster do you think is really interesting? Uh, Obviously, all three of us thought Shelob was pretty cool. So, or at least... An interesting character to read about, um, and despite the fact that she is creepy beyond all reasons. Yeah, how would you describe her? Hey, scary beyond all reason. So uh, let me know what you think is uh, a cool fictional monster. Um, I put fictional in there because uh, we're not going to talk about real world monsters. Uh, we're, we're staying specifically in, in fantasy and non-real worlds right now. Thank you very much. So, Good clarification. Uh, you can tell me all of the... Yeah, it's like, um, I don't want to think about the real world. Thanks. Yeah, so don't send in that Carol Baskin or Joe Exotic is your favorite monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. So yeah, share the on social media, wherever you follow the podcast on social media. And then a couple weeks ago, the discussion question was, what is a short piece of media that you enjoy? Taylor in Discord likes uh, This Podcast Will Kill You and Ologies, which I've, I've heard a lot about Ologies, so I will also have to check that out. Jason on Facebook likes Jerry's Game, the Pixar short about the old man playing chess in the park. And Meredith on Facebook likes the web series Kissing in the Rain. So yeah, listeners, share your answer for this week's discussion question, and I might read it on the podcast. A quick announcement before we wrap things up. Uh, at the time that you are hearing this, I will be planning for my Q&A, my post Two Towers Q&A bonus episode. So submit your questions to me about Two Towers, predictions for Return of the King, or anything else that I haven't read yet, um, all of those kinds of questions. And you can send those or um, message them to Tolkien About Pod on Twitter or Instagram. And then I'll also make sure that there's a post in the Facebook group where you can leave your questions in the comments. All that being said, Martha and Alice, thank you so much for coming on. Do you guys have any parting words for the audience? Well, thank you for having us. We had a lot of fun. It was really, I really enjoyed being back in the Lord of the Rings universe. So just keep up the good work and hopefully you continue to enjoy the series. I think it will get more fun from here, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to hear what your final thoughts are on the series as you you continue in your journey because it was fun for me to enter this world again as well. Yeah, me too. I'm also excited to to see what (laughs) what my final thoughts are. And that's what I'm talking about.